0: Today we're beginning a new season of our Dangerous Prayers series. And if you were there for the first one, search me, then you might remember that it was the series that I did not want to do because I didn't want to be praying these dangerous prayers. It was a little bit scary to me. But we had been reading this book called Dangerous Prayers by Craig Rochelle, and I would encourage you to get the book so that you can go deeper and follow along in there. And one of the cool things about this is that all the profits from the book are going to Bible translation efforts so you can feel good about getting it. Uh, And this week we are starting the series called Break Me. Now, if search me was scary last time, break me is even scarier. Who wants to invite breaking or pain in their life? Most people would say, not me. But what we're really talking about today is the idea of surrender. Because when we've become followers of Jesus, what we're doing is actually surrendering our lives to him. And what we find as we follow Jesus is that often, and this is the bottom line for today, that pain is often the path to where you want and need to be. Pain is often the path to where you want and need to be. And so their challenge is going to be to pray that simple two-word prayer, break me. There's probably a situation in your life that you can think of that was painful unpleasant something that you did not anticipate or did not want but yet as you go through it even though it's painful even though you wouldn't have chosen it you find that it produces good fruit good results in your life and as a loving Heavenly Father your Heavenly Father is not going to put you through pain without a purpose, and sometimes his purpose is greater than the pain, and so we can trust him to pray this prayer, break me. Let's define what we're talking about when we're talking about breaking. Here's my definition, breaking is the pattern. Let's pause there for just a second. We're talking about a pattern. It's something that we see in scripture and throughout Christian history and in our own lives where this is a pattern of the way that God deals with people. It's a pattern of humbling. It has to do usually with something that is bringing us low like failure, loss, sorrow, or humiliation. So breaking is a pattern of humbling. Through failure, loss, sorrow, humiliation, that is painful and unpleasant at the time. This is something that we wouldn't choose to go through. We probably wouldn't put ourselves through this. It's painful. It's unpleasant. But it results in greater wholeness, healthier character, and greater effectiveness in the long run. I looked it up because I had heard of this before and it's actually true, that sometimes when a person has a broken bone, it can heal Wrongly, they call it a, a malunion. The, the bone fuses back together, but not in the way that it should. So there's some kind of deformity or loss of use. And because we live in a broken world, some, and we try to put the pieces back together, but sometimes they don't quite fit together the way that they should. And as a result, we are not formed the way we should, and we don't have the effectiveness that we should. So in our physical bodies, when something like that happens, they will actually go and repair it through surgery. They, in essence, break the bone again and then put it together, holding it in place the right way so that it heals and it heals properly and you regain the function and use of that bone again. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, the brokenness. And this breaking process is a pattern that God uses where he, in essence, breaks us down, humbles us, and then puts us back together in a healthier way. It's greater wholeness, greater health, healthier character. It's fixing something within our character that needs to be addressed and leads to greater effectiveness in the long run. That's what the breaking process is. And so, the bottom line, again, is that pain is often the path to where you want and need to be. Because we all want greater healthiness. We want greater character. We want better character. We want to be able to be effective. We want God to be able to use us. And sometimes we're wondering, why is it that we're not able to do the things that we want to do, go to the places that we want to go? Sometimes there are things like this that need to be addressed. And the only way to do it is through this breaking process. Pain is often the path where you want and need to be. We said that the breaking process is a process of humbling ourselves or being humbled. So let's talk about that a little bit. In 1 Peter chapter five, it says all of you, this is the apostle Peter talking to the church, talking to the people of his congregation, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another in this context he's been talking to the leaders the elders of the church saying rather than lording it over your people you need to lead them by example and then he turns to the people in the church and says you want to be able to you you want to follow the lead of your leaders so whether you're a leader or a part of the congregation all of you should be clothing yourselves in humility toward one another and then he goes on to give the reason next word because because and this is a phrase that's repeated multiple times in the scriptures god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and the way i always describe that is if i'm going through life I want to be on God's side. I don't want to be opposed in opposition to God. And when we humble ourselves, then he gives us grace and power. But when we are proud and stiff-necked, then God opposes us. So we want to clothe ourselves in humility. The idea of clothing is a idiom for just the way that we conduct our lives, our character, our demeanor is just we are clothed with humility because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so his conclusion, Peter's conclusion is this, humble yourselves. You see, you've got a choice. You're going to be humbled. You can either have God do it for you or you can humble yourself. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Again, because you're going to find that if we harden ourselves, if we harden our hearts, if we are in opposition and proud, then God has to humble us. But if we humble ourselves under his hand, then in time he will lift us up. For the Apostle Peter, this idea of God humbling him was not theory. This was something that he had lived. Let's look at, to, at it together as we look at Peter's life and calling. We'll start with Luke chapter five, which talks about when Jesus became, uh, when Peter became a follower of Jesus. It tells that story. It says in Luke chapter five, beginning at verse one. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He, Jesus, noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who is Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat on the boat and taught the crowds from there. So here's the picture, the, Jesus is teaching the crowds, but they're pressing into him. And so he asked to get into the boat and he just sets out a little bit from the shore. It gives him a little space from the people so that he can teach. And it also allows everybody to see and hear him. Verse four, when he had finished speaking after the message, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper. Now let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night, all last night, and didn't catch a thing. In other words, he's already done this. It's the end of his work day, and they have caught nothing. But, Peter says, if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. At this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. So he goes out, he puts the nets down, and the fish are just swarming into the net. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. In the other, In another gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, talking about the same story, it describes it this way. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And I focus in on this idea of make because what he's saying is you've been fishermen this has been your role this has been your job this has been your business but now i'm going to commission you i'm going to give you a new role i'm going to make you into something that you were not before that's the idea behind making them fishers of men and it reminds me of another passage where john is speak or where jesus is speaking to his disciples In John chapter 15, verse 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world and bear fruit. So this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's at the beginning of Peter's walking with Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you a new mission, a new commission. I'm going to make you fishers of men you've been catching fish now you're going to catch people and he's chosen them and commissioned them and you are going to bear you're going to bear fruit and it's going to be fruit that's going to last your life is going to be fruitful but this was at the very beginning of the process and Peter probably didn't realize didn't expect that pain was ahead a breaking process was ahead but that's exactly what happened. Now, fast forward to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's right before he goes to the cross and he is with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he's foretold that one of them is going to betray him. And in reply to this, Peter, who is of course there, replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He, look at what he's saying. He's saying, look, you know, maybe somebody is going to deny you. Maybe somebody is going to betray you, but it's definitely not going to be me. And in fact, even if everyone else deserts you, I am still going to be here beside you. I will go to my death with you. And then Jesus tells him, truly, I tell you, this very night, what? This very night, because before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. See, in this process, Peter is about to learn something about himself because he thought that there was no obstacle that could keep him from being faithful to Jesus, from fulfilling his calling. And Jesus says, look, there's something that you don't know about yourself. He's going to deal with Peter's pride. He's going to see him humbled. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The uh, soldiers show up. And arrest Jesus and Jesus is going from one mock show trial to another and Peter is following behind and people start to recognize him or wonder ask him aren't you one of Jesus followers and he begins to deny it first one time then a second time and then a third time. And in this third time, they ask him, you know, wait a second, you have, you have a Galilean accent. You, you must be one of his disciples. So Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. He denies it in as strong of terms as he possibly can. And then immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And exactly what Jesus had predicted, exactly what Peter uh, could not imagine happening had now come to pass. And he went away, it says, weeping bitterly. He had to just get out of there and flee and he goes off and is crying and weeping bitterly because he has betrayed and denied jesus but what he may not have realized is this pain this deep sorrow that he was feeling was a part of the path that was going to lead him where he wanted and needed to be it was a step along the way to his fulfilling his calling and commissioning. It wasn't a good thing that he did, but it allowed him to see himself for who he truly is. And that's a big part of what happens as we follow Jesus. You see, we have this picture of ourselves and we, uh, we believe good things about ourselves, but what a breaking process often will do is reveal to us, the broken pieces, the pieces that are not right, the pieces that are missing in our lives, the lack of wholeness, the lack of integrity, the lack of strength, the things that are lacking. And in order for us to go the places that Jesus wants to take us, in order for us to fulfill the calling and commission that He has given us, sometimes your loving Heavenly Father has to deal with those issues. And often He will do that through humbling, even humiliating circumstances. Painful, unpleasant paths that show us who we really are, reveal to us the true nature of our hearts. Why? So that he can shame us, no. So that we'll feel bad about ourselves, no. So that we can develop bitterness, no. In order that we might be humbled, have a true picture of ourselves so that we can turn to God for healing and wholeness so that he can make us into the people that he has called us to be and that we can fulfill the calling and commission that he has has given us now fast forward again just a little bit Jesus has gone to the cross and died has been buried and then on the third day has risen again the body is missing Jesus in person begins to show up to his disciples and imagine how Peter must have felt he was probably just so incredibly brokenhearted because he had denied that he had even known Jesus. And now Jesus, who they thought was dead and gone, is now showing up again. And imagine the shame and the trepidation that Peter must have felt as he sees the risen Jesus again. And maybe he wants to address it, wants to tell Jesus that he's sorry, Uh, apologize, somehow make things right, and I would imagine if I'm in that position, I'm wondering how can this ever be made right? I denied that I even knew him, and I made all of these promises that I didn't follow through on. There just must have been incredible shame and awkwardness for Peter in his heart as he encountered the risen Jesus. So, Jesus begins to show up, Uh, he appears and disappears, and the disciples are kind of in this waiting pattern, not exactly sure what to do. So we pick up the story in John chapter 21, and this is what it says. Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. He had told the disciples to go ahead back into Galilee, to travel north to their home country. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that was John and James, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Uh, I love this because you kind of wonder what's going on there. It's like, okay. Uh, flashback to his call, he left his nets, he left his boat, he left his former life to be a fisher of men and a follower of Jesus. And now in this in-between time, now where he's looking back on his failures, I wonder if this was just going back to fishing just because he didn't know to do anything else and maybe he needed some income Or maybe it was, eh, you know, I blew it. And, you know, Jesus had invited me to do this. I don't know if he still wants me. I don't know what's happening next. Maybe that was, maybe I blew it. And maybe, you know, Jesus isn't gonna use me. I'll just go back to my former way of life, my former way of doing things. I'm going fishing. I don't know exactly what was in Peter's mind. We don't know, but he decides to go back to fishing and the rest of the fishermen disciples that were with him say, we'll come too. We don't know what else to do maybe. We're going fishing. And so then we pick up the story and it says that in that very same verse, so they went out into the boat and they caught nothing all night. This was exactly what had happened at the very beginning of the story. It doesn't say that, but we're immediately supposed to acknowledge and recognize, oh, this is, this is Peter and the disciples going back to fishing, going back to, not only are they not doing the calling that they receive, they're, they, they can't even fish anymore. It must have been a very frustrating and unproductive night. They caught nothing all night. But that pain, humiliation, humbling is often the path to where you want and need to be. So let's pick up the story. After they went back to fishing, after they spent the whole night fishing without any results, caught nothing all night. Verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach But the disciples couldn't see who he was. They're they're off in the boat out on the lake. They look and they see a figure on the beach. He calls out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. I can just imagine them, they're like, oh, we never thought to fish on the other side of the boat in this huge lake. We've been fishing all night, trying to find the fish. He says, Throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then, verse 7 the disciple Jesus loved, that's the Apostle John who is writing this, his way of referring to himself, said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped down for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread." And I love that because they've been fishing all night unsuccessfully. Jesus brought his own fish. He's cooking it on the shore for them. And then verse 10, he says, "'Bring some of the fish you've just caught,' Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn. "'Now come and have some breakfast,' Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied you know i love you then feed my lambs jesus told him now what is jesus doing he is asking simon he's asking peter what, what's, where are you in all this? Where is your heart? I'm, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to declare your allegiance. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to declare your love and commitment to me. And so after this whole season, this whole season where I love the way the TV series the shows and portrays it, uh, flashing back to his calling. This is the picture of Peter, Fishing all night. And, you know, he's got the lamp. He's trying to find any hint of fish anywhere. He's working hard all through the night without any kind of result. And then he comes to the shore and Jesus is teaching and he gets in his boat. And after the sermon is over, he tells Peter to let down the nets one more time. And after that, the fish swarm into the net. The boat begins to sink because it's so loaded down with fish. And now in this scene that we just read, we're flashing forward and it's the same thing over and over again. It's the same thing of their unproductive work when they're on their own. But as soon as Jesus says the word, the fruitfulness of their labors comes into being. The fish are swarming into the net and Jesus remembering knowing that Peter has denied him three times knowing probably that Peter was wondering is the opportunity still there is the commission and call still open to me because I've failed I've fallen short I've denied you and Jesus says do you love me yes I love you And he says, so I'm gonna commission you, feed my lambs, uh, take care of my flock. Jesus had described himself as the good shepherd. And now he is once again reaffirming and recommissioning Peter saying, you're gonna be my under shepherd. I am going to use you. I want you to feed my lambs. And then he does it again. He says, it says, verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Jesus, in his kindness, in his compassion, has now given Peter the opportunity to make restitution, to restore things. He denied him three times. He now gives him a chance to affirm his allegiance and his love to Jesus three times. Jesus had called him, commissioned him to be a fisher of men. And now he is reaffirming that commission, saying, I still have a plan and a place for you. You are still going to have fruitful ministry. In fact, it's going to be bigger and more fruitful than ever before. And he commissions him, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, and gives Peter the opportunity to be restored because he has gone through this process of breaking, of seeing himself as he truly is and how discouraging and disappointing that was to him. But now he is being restored. He is being recommissioned. He's saying, I still have a place for you. There is still hope for you. And now in your brokenness, you can accomplish what you could not before. The breaking process and the process of surrendering was something that Jesus was familiar with as he surrendered his will to go to the cross for the breaking of his body for the forgiveness of our sins. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them, his disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it's possible, Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. And probably you can relate to that. All of us can relate to that idea that we really don't want to, we don't enjoy suffering. We're not asking for pain. We don't want to go through any unpleasantness. However, we know that sometimes God uses those things for our good. And so Jesus in the conclusion of his prayer says this, Yet. I want your will to be done, not mine. Your will, not mine. So when we pray this prayer, when we accept the challenge to pray, break me, what we're doing is we're asking the Lord to, in essence, heal us, to make us whole, to restore us to full health so that we can accomplish the things that he has in mind for us to do, to fulfill his calling on our lives, to see greater and greater fruitfulness and effectiveness in our lives. We are in essence doing what Jesus did when he prayed that prayer, saying, your will, not mine. Lord, I want your will, not mine. I'm willing to follow you. And that's what, when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes, not just to his forgiveness for the past, we're saying yes to his plan, for the future as well, your will, not mine. So I'm going to encourage you to take this bold and courageous step, to be willing to step up to the challenge of praying, break me, Lord, to echo Jesus' prayer, your will, not mine. And I'm gonna ask our online hosts, who if you're watching along live with us to uh, put up this quote, And I want you, everybody who's watching, to be able to have an opportunity to respond. You'll notice that beside that quote, there is a little heart. And if you're ready to pray this prayer, if this is your heart's cry, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to go through this process, whatever it takes to be whole and to be used by you wholeheartedly. You can just click on that heart. If you're following along on another platform, doing this later at some point, just comment with that heart. Whatever you can do, thumbs up, whatever, in order to say, yes, I'm on board. I'm surrendering to the Lord. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what our daily habit should be. But if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've been watching online, maybe you grew up in church, but there's never been a time where you have unequivocally declared, I'm following Jesus. Given Jesus, your unquestioning yes, whatever you have for me, I surrender to you. We as a church, we exist to encourage people, more and more people all the time to say yes to Jesus. And so if that's you, and you're committing your life to Jesus for the first time, you're saying yes to him, this is what that means. Yes to his forgiveness, that what he did on the cross is gonna count for you. And you're also saying yes to his lordship, his leadership in your life. You're surrendering your will for his then you can mark that raise your hand electronically on that uh, on the church online platform and you can text the word yes to our church number 603-225-2550 we want you to do that because it gives us a chance to celebrate with you and also resource you for your new life in christ so online church hosts Put that salvation moment up so that people have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And wherever you are, wherever you're listening or watching, this can be your moment. Surrender to your loving Heavenly Father. Say yes to Jesus. Let Him wipe away the guilt of your past and write a new ending to your story. You shine through us. You shine through us. You shine. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that are saying yes to you for the first time right now. Wherever they're listening, whenever they're listening, you know and see their heart and the step of faith that they are taking. And so we thank you for that. Thank you because I'm reminded that in your word, it says that whenever anyone is welcomed into the family, that there's a party in heaven. So I thank you for each one that is saying yes to Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for each person who is watching, who has already started on that journey and is renewing their commitment to just surrender to you by saying and praying that prayer, break me, that I trust you, Lord, so much that I know that I can place my entire life in your hands and that whatever you lead me to, whatever you lead me through is going to be for my good and my benefit and your glory. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give everyone the courage to pray this prayer, break me. And I thank you, Lord, for the new stories, for the new wholeness, for the new healing, for the new effectiveness, for the new fulfilling of calling that you are going to do in so many lives. And so we celebrate that and we thank you for that. Grant that courage and help everyone to be able to take that step Lord, we love you, and we trust you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone, have a great week. We are so glad to be able to be here with you and to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. More people saying yes to Jesus more often. Have a great week.